Welcome to the fourth podcast in the Financial Frameworks series. Financial Frameworks is dedicated to helping you create a stronger financial decision-making process by providing a set of interdisciplinary tools that makes finance personal and integrates your values with these tools. Would you prefer to be more confident when making financial decisions because you know what works and you've tested it? If you are, keep listening. This podcast outlines four core concepts for analyzing financial decisions that I have found very useful and I believe are great for someone not trained in finance. Their purpose is to quickly decide which aspects of analysis or a problem are the most important and need to be focused on. I use these concepts as lenses to focus on investments, significant purchases, planning, and for building day-to-day habits. After this overview, we will look more closely at one of the four concepts, profitability, and finally, we'll answer the question I asked in podcast three, how does one evaluate whether profits or surplus funds are being used well? How do you evaluate the use of these funds to determine whether you're really building your future or not? So the four core concepts are cash flow, return on investment, risk quantification, and profitability. I'm willing to bet that all of the financial decisions that you have made, or at least most of them, since you were a youngster, in one way or another employed the four concepts, probably intuitively in the form of questions. Now, as you develop your financial thinking muscles more fully, more completely, and in a more disciplined fashion, you can successfully use these concepts to manage your finances or that of a business or investments First, cash flow. I usually list this first because it's a skill that we use constantly. We get paid, we receive money, we buy things, we spend money. But very often, the weighing process does not include long-term benefits. It focuses on short-term or immediate things. Budgeting this week's expenses, uh, spending money on groceries, how much is left over, and occasionally the long-term How am I going to fund a college education or how will I fund a big ticket item and pay for it over time? So let's instill some long-term focus into cash flow, but we'll build it into a daily action. Connect daily actions with long-term goals. So what if you set a goal of spending 1% less of what comes in in your paycheck or every two weeks? You then monitor it and actually set the money aside. So for our example, let's assume a gross income of $60,000, a biweekly paycheck of $2,307, and a net pay of, a net paycheck of $1,703, or $866.50 per week. What if you then said to yourself, okay, $8.65 goes into an envelope and gets set into a bureau or set aside to accumulate, and then I'll make a deposit somewhere. You put it someplace where it's likely to stay and not be spent. By taking a specific action and committing real funds, a person is more likely to pay attention to what is actually happening with that money. This is one simple exercise, admittedly on the saving side, but it points to something we often don't look at, the link between a small act today and long-term benefits. And since capitalism is very much based on engaging in deferred gratification, foregoing today's enjoyments for tomorrow's rewards, 
you are building a Warren Buffett-like habit. He's famous for having said that he would rather jump over a one-foot hurdle seven times than a seven-foot hurdle once. That's one of his habits of capitalism. Concept two, return on investment. Return on investment, or ROI, is one measure of whether your assets, your personal earning power, things that you've invested in, your business, are producing increasing revenues that are satisfactory to you. ROI is the number or percent that shows what profits your enterprise, and you can consider your family an enterprise, is producing for a specified time period, almost always annually. So let's use a personal example rather than a business example. A personal example is whether you choose to spend money on a swimming pool for your home that you really want, or you spend the same amount of money, let's say $50,000, on reworking your kitchen. Real estate studies show that kitchen remodeling investments add more value to a home than swimming pool when the house is resold. So there is a choice of spending money on something that provides you with a benefit, swimming is a healthy benefit, or provides a financial benefit, the increased value of the house. So let's give you the definition of return on investment. It is the profit or benefit if you're a nonprofit organization, and there are ways to measure benefits that are fairly uh, clearly quantifiable, the profit or the benefit divided by the amount invested, say the $50,000 on the kitchen remodeling. Okay, that's return on investment. Again, this is an overview. Risk quantification. Risk is a fascinating topic. We will spend a lot of time on it later on. I have a book in my office entitled Finance in a Nutshell, a no-nonsense companion to the tools and techniques of finance. So you would think finance in a nutshell, this is going to tell me everything. It's a very useful book. It's very well written. It's very detailed, and it is written by someone who clearly knows what he's talking about. And it's a very large nutshell. It's about 400 pages. Over half of it is devoted to examining and quantifying risk in various ways. So what is a definition of risk that we can apply and that can be applied to a lot of situations so that you can use it quickly and easily? I use two definitions. The general one, the broader one, is anything that creates exposure to harm or loss. Do I want to engage in an activity that will expose me to harm or loss? And what is the probability of the degree of harm or loss? The financial definition that I prefer is from Benjamin Graham's security analysis, and it is repeated in The Intelligent Investor. It's in his definition of investment. He states, an investment operation is one which, upon thorough analysis, promises safety of principle and an adequate return. The key elements here are analysis, upon thorough analysis, and using that analysis to project future results. So instead of thinking about the risk right in front of you, we all think of a flat tire or a snake right in front of you, you apply the concept of analysis and looking into the future. Graham's assumption is that we are capable of anticipating risk if we are thorough. Now we'll look at profitability. I'll introduce it and then we'll go into more detail. The core concept, profitability, and the question I asked last time, how to measure whether profits earned or funds saved for a family are being used well or not, is essential to an individual or a business's well-being. The non-technical financial definition of profits is revenues that exceed expenses. 
that produce a profit or surplus revenue within a specific period of time. If the enterprise is a not-for-profit, we substitute benefits for profits and set about measuring those benefits. How many children educated? How many school lunches provided? Uh, increase in the rate of graduation? That sort of thing. Any enterprise, including a family, needs to keep more money than it spends. In business terms, that's profit. However, the key to profitability is not in the definition. The key to being profitable is in planning, monitoring, and the timing of profitability. You need to make choices and decisions prior to the execution of those decisions in order to make profitability happen. Today, we will look at three examples, and I'll ask you some follow-up questions regarding individuals, a small business, and an investment. The key elements that I would ask you to look at, again, are planning, monitoring, and time. Planning. You plan by creating projections based on realistic assumptions and then compare them with past or current results. For example, did your family keep more than it spent, including current debt, debt due within one year? Let's assume that the answer is yes. Now let's take the three biggest expense items from last year. Let's say one of them is gasoline, one of them is food, and probably the third might be mortgage. And you project for 2022 using an 8% inflation increase factor for the relevant items. If you have a fixed uh, rate mortgage, you wouldn't apply that because the payment stays fixed. Or if you wish to be conservative, you can use a higher number. That is how you plan. You look at the past, you create realistic projections, and I'm not saying predictions because it's not gonna be perfect, but if you create a projection, you then can track how reality varies from what you projected, and you'll still be better off than if you hadn't made a projection. So, one of the keys to profitability, planning. Number two, monitoring. There are two parts to monitoring. Comparing the results with the projections that you created, and just as importantly, action-by-action action monitoring of individual choices and actions. In the words of Gerald Zaltman in the book, How Customers Think, Essential Insights into the Mind of the Market, Dr. Zaltman spends a fair amount of time studying human financial behavior, specific actions, and how they fit into larger pat patterns. Two of his observations that support the need to monitor expenditures, specifically in finances in general, are, number one, Many more units of a product are sold at a price of $9.99 than at $10. Certainly the one penny savings on identical products does not account for this. It's human perception. The second example that I will cite, which is broader but also more to the point, I quote, The correlation between stated intent and actual behavior is usually low and often negative. For example, more than 60% of consumers participating in an at-home test of a new kitchen appliance indicated that after trying the product, they were likely or very likely to purchase the appliance in the next three months. Eight months after the product's introduction, only 12% of those consumers actually made a purchase. A survey among those who did not follow through on their stated intent found that most consumers could not explain their behavior. They couldn't tell the uh, surveyors why they hadn't bought it or why they hadn't followed up. This is what Dr. Zaltman refers to as cognitive unconscious behavior. To cut to the chase, the message here is one needs to monitor choices in relation to a plan and actually record what one did 
because I may not always do what I say I'm going to do. The third element of profitability is timing. Why is thinking about timing important to profitability? It relates to planning, but deserves a separate mention. I have found that people who think about when expenses occur and when the corresponding benefits occur tend to avoid optimism bias and are more realistic about the true potential contribution to the bottom line that a specific action will take. They're less fuzzy. They are less unclear. They're more clear about what is actually likely to happen. For Let's take an example. Let's say that my enterprise has money in the bank and more money is coming in than is going out, and I'm considering buying a car for the enterprise, a company car, but it will reduce the net revenues by 20% each month. Let's also say that I believe that I'm going to sign a contract within the next two months, and I believe that contract will pay for the car. What if that contract doesn't come through? What if I change my perceptions and believe that the contract only has a 20% chance of coming through? Does that change my thinking? The timing of profitability should be an important factor in my thinking. So now let's look at three real-life profitability examples. Let's look at a couple of individuals. During one of the classes I taught, I asked the students if they felt that their engagement in the program, their spending their time getting their master's degree, was profitable, or if their experience in the program would produce later on profitability. So we discussed the costs of the program. We researched potential salaries online for typical positions that they would be applying to or receiving after the program. And then we discussed profitability right now while they were in the master's program. They were spending a lot of time. They were spending money. There were opportunity costs to their spending time in class. How much money was going out and how much money was coming in and how much money was deferred. And this was these were reasonable questions because most of the students were fully employed. Three of the students who spent a lot of time together and were very close discussed their student loan situations among themselves and the terms. And I didn't ask for a specific. I certainly didn't want personal information. But at the next class, two of them announced that they had refinanced their student loans and had increased their current, right now, profitability by reducing the interest rates on their loans and the total amounts going out the door. To me, that was planning and monitoring in action. A small business situation. I have provided consulting services to a farmer who is financially very capable and he's also very innovative. We discussed his plan for his farm to acquire drying equipment so that he can process vegetables into a string or a noodle format then dry them for shipments to markets farther away that would require less refrigeration and reduce his shipping costs. We went over the numbers, looked at potential profitability, and determined that even with the electricity costs associated with this, that within three months of his initial shipment of dried vegetables, he will have a profitable dried vegetable product line for his farm. So he knows when it's going to occur, and he knows that it is going to occur because he's done the planning. An investment example, and this is somewhat hypothetical, but you can look at Rivian, look at their stock, uh, look at their pricing, look at their financial statements, and determine whether the analysis here is relevant or not. 
So we look at our old friend Rivian, who's been discussed in previous podcasts, and we ask, when will the firm be profitable? We know from their most recent financial statements that they have $18 billion in the bank, and their burn rate for 2021 was $4.2 billion. We also know that they have a standing order from Amazon, who is a 20% or 17% part owner of Rivian, for the delivery of 100,000 trucks by 2030. So we'll make some assumptions now. The stated price for a Rivian non-commercial truck, just a regular pickup, is 67500 So let's assume that the Amazon trucks won't cost that much, they won't be that fancy, or Amazon will get a discount because they're an owner, and we'll price them at $45,000 or slightly above the current price for a gasoline-powered Mercedes-Benz delivery van today. Let's further assume that Rivian can produce 10,000 vans in 2022 and 30,000 vans for Amazon in 2023 for total revenues of $1.8 billion. Will Rivian spend more than the $4.2 billion they spent last year? Are our assumptions reasonable? This problem involves all three elements. Planning, we need to make projections. Monitoring, we have to keep checking industry information, uh, brokerage announcements, Rivian's announcements to see whether they're going to produce 10000 this year to change our assumptions or confirm our assumptions. With the information that I've just given you, it looks like profitability is more than three years away. So uh, we have to continue to look at the projections that, because that's really a projection. What I've just all offered you in less than three minutes is a projection. And we will ask ourselves other questions like, will investors be patient for three years? Now that we've outlined what profitability looks like and how to apply it, let's come back to our question from the end of podcast three. How does one evaluate the use of profits, which we will now call retained earnings? We're calling them retained earnings because that's what they are. If it's your salary, you went out and earned it. If it's a business, you sold and kept more money than you spent. Those are earnings. How do you evaluate your use of those earnings on a personal level and when evaluating an investment? This is an important aspect of profitability because this is how you either grow or don't. My answer to that two-part question is to turn it into a series of measurable other questions. And I'll post my answers to the questions on my website, finframeworks.com. I think you will find the answers straightforward and clear, but let me give you the subset questions right now. With regard to personal retained earnings, the question is, Was the surplus money, the retained earnings, used the way I intended to use them? And secondly, do I still have the amount of earnings, the amount of surplus, at this point in time, let's say that you had $4,000 left over at the end of 2021, do I still have the amount I planned on having at this point, or has it grown, or has it shrunk? On a personal level, how was that money used? an investment-oriented evaluation of retained earnings. To answer this question, we will look at two stocks. We'll look at Berkshire Hathaway and Rivian. What did Berkshire Hathaway do with its retained earnings from the calendar year 2020 as reported in their 2021 annual report that came out about two weeks ago? We're picking Berkshire Hathaway because they're a fairly transparent company. They're a very successful company, but they're fairly transparent the chairman and vice chairman, uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, 
believe in educating people, and they're not bashful or shy in sharing information. They're not going to hand over the keys to the kingdom, but they have stated, and I believe them, that they will provide an investor with enough information to understand what's really going on in the company. So we will look at their annual report to see what their use of retained earnings was. With regard to Rivian, they had no retained earnings. So we'll rephrase the question slightly to what are they doing with their cash, which implies what should they be doing with their cash, and will their use of this cash or these funds cause Rivian to proceed positively? Again, I will post my answers to those questions on the website. And if you want to send me comments on the, I think it's on the contact page, there's a place for answers to questions. Uh, I would be interested in your thoughts and we'll see what we think about profitability. As before, thank you for listening. I hope that this has been helpful and I look forward to bringing you Podcast 5. (laughs) 